Welcome to Iowa Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. This is episode 99 of the podcast. If you're a new listener, I want to welcome you. Iowa Health is your place for trusted health guidance and resource. Whether you're looking to improve your health or just seeking ways to stay well, we're here for you. This growing community is on a mission to improve our state of being and experience together on the planet. And you heard that right. 99 episodes. That means the next episode is the 100th episode. So make sure you hit the subscribe button on your app so that you don't miss the interview coming up uh, with me and Dr. Bab, except for this time, I'm going to be on the other side of the interview. Uh, you may remember Dr. Bab from some of the episodes over the pandemic. He's been keeping us up to date on what's happening with the science of COVID and messenger RNA vaccines. And now it's his time to interview me. So when I first started the Patreon, we had a contest. So the, whoever donated the most through the 100th episode would get to interview me. And um, it's the first time that I've been interviewed uh, full length like this. So I think you'll there, there'll be some interest. I've gotten a lot of emails over the last uh, four years or so that I've been doing this about my unusual career path. So next week, you'll get to hear the whole story. So stay tuned. And if you love the thoughtful and informative content you get here, maybe it's time to consider becoming a health amplifier yourself by joining this community over at patreon.com forward slash highway to health. And for the price of a cup of coffee once a month, you can help us create more resource for those in need. And maybe you'll get to interview me for the 200th episode. Excited to share this conversation with Dr. John Leaf today about his new book, The Secret Language of Cells. Much of his work, as you'll hear in this conversation, is about where the mind exists. We often equate the brain with the mind, but he's asking us to consider why these cells are communicating with one another and examine the information they're conveying, the processes they're initiating, and the decisions that are happening at the cellular level. And perhaps more profoundly, asking us to consider who is the director here? This is one of the most thought-provoking conversations I've had on the show here. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. John Leaf. It seems like the, the the basis of this book is is new technology on some level, correct? I mean, you you've been in, in what neuropsychiatry is that your background? I'm a yeah hospital based neuropsychiatrist for many many years. Treated uh, complex patients who have brain disorders, okay. psychiatric disorders, and medical problems. Uh, I pioneered in brain injury programs. I've had a lot of them. Uh, you know, dementia, but also just medically ill people who have a mental problem. So okay. then I s lectured widely in neuroscience and psychopharm, and then I became interested in uh, studying where mine might be. And that's okay. when I started my website. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with my website, but there's a lot of other articles there. I have about 200 articles there that are more detailed on each subject. I, I did. I started digging into it a little bit. And it's another curiosity of mine, too, is... Uh, my a lot of my work ends up relating back to sort of autonomic function, and you know, sure. then it, then you know, it, you can't help but ask, you know, who's where's the mind in this in this process? And and I love That's the true. stuff that you were kind of digging into with like the the mind in nature and that kind of stuff too. So. Right. Well, I started, you know, I, I I studied neuroscience in great detail, and I used to lecture widely, but then. I, there is no uh, center for subjective experience. There's mm -hmm. no center for, there's no modules. They used to think there were modules. Really, most cells are connected with many other uh, modalities of cells. It's very um, multi-sensory wired, and it's not clear um, where mind is there. It's a, But, you know, mind can't be in the brain because you and I are talking and it's somewhere in between us as well. Oh, yeah, right. But then I started studying animals and even insects and how amazingly intelligent bees are and ants are. And I wrote about that. But then cells, it right. came down to cells. Everyone knows that neurons talk to each other, but actually neurons do a lot more than that. They talk in a lot of different ways, not yeah. just the axons and synapses. And then, um, but it wasn't clear to everyone that all the cells are talking just as much. Right. And so there really is no brain, it really, all, the whole body is the brain, uh, and particularly the research now is about uh, the immune. Uh, the, the most is discovered about the immune 
and the brain. But I did write a lot about capillary cells and platelets yeah. and infections and all that. Um, so, it, yes, and it is based upon the new science because no one could observe a signal in the middle of a cell or between cells before. We didn't know how these cascades work uh, of receptors inside cells and how genetics works. Yeah. So it's a very exciting area, and, and it's developing rapidly, to, you know, right before us. I wrote it, I, you know, I, 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 I see myself as a translator yeah. of incomprehensible journal articles. Yeah. Um, with basically gobbledygook receptors and genes, and no one can understand this stuff. Even experts can't understand it unless you're right in that field. Yeah. So I studied to become knowledge. People ask me, but do I speak other languages? And I said, I speak molecular genetics and molecular biology. Yeah. And that's my language. Um, and I see, I translated these articles each week uh, on my website, and that's how it all oh, developed. I see. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. So I'm I'm an English major, as uh, that was my my beginning. I didn't really plan on going into sciences, um, yeah. and so there's a, there's a part for me. And, and since I've been in the sort of integrative health, you know, realm, I, I work between um, a, a lot of different kinds of therapy, but you know, from physical movement therapy to you know support for newborns when they're having you know reflex or feeding issues, mm -hmm. and then a lot of a lot of emotional relay based things too. So if it's if there's something going on that is kind of trapped in that in that loop in the system, a lot of times this kind of work will actually help to free that up, kind of the somato emotional you know part of things, which gets back into what you're talking about, which is how we store all this information. And it's I never know you know, and I and I try to stay in that place when I'm working with somebody for the first time. I never know where in the body some of that stuff may surface you would think well, you, you know you would think it would be you know if it's a heart-centered thing you would think it would be near the heart but it could be in, in the knee somewhere you know well that's the message of this new science is that and when andy Weil wrote it's a new paradigm yeah for health what he means by that is that it used to be if you wanted to study the knee you'd study the knee or you'd study the kidney right. you'd study the kidney but that's not true anymore because uh, every cell, if you study the kidney, you have to study the entire body because they're all talking to each other. And yeah. the, 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 the blood vessel cells are talking and the neurons are talking and there's There's so much communication uh, throughout the body that it's more complicated, but at least you know you have to look for these signals and we're finding these various uh, signals. Yeah. So, you know, that's very much like what you're talking about. Yeah, and, and, and to be able to translate, this is one of the things that I feel like I've gotten into from being a word person is that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going between these different fields of care, but I found in integrative health, like we speak different languages. So how do you explain what you're doing, you know, from a physical hands-on thing, especially just even being able to translate what I sense with my hands and, and give that to somebody else, you know, with detail. And that was what I thought Dr. Upledger did really well with craniosacral therapy was, you know, he had this very subtle art to the work that he would back up with incredible, you know, detailed models and explanations, you know, to the scientific level as well. And, and really wrote a lot of stuff about cells, even like 20 years ago, starting to talk about, you know, a lot of what you're, you're digging into and what I think you actually did translate very well, because I've, I kind of felt like anyone could read this book and get a lot of, I mean, almost be inspired by what what happens in the body and just the miracle that this is in the first place yes uh, i made a strong effort to eliminate all jargon so yeah. and my publisher and the editor they kept wanting to put in jargon as if it explained something i would say that word doesn't explain anything it just confuses people yeah. so i um there's no jargon so anyone can read it and that's what i wanted it to be so that uh, you could see what it is, you know, it's a panoramic view of the cellular world. And, and it just shows how amazingly connected they are and how much communication is going on. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think, I don't know, one of the big stories is the immune and the um, uh, brain, which I think you're delving into, actually, with your work. Yeah. Because the um, perceptions are uh, a strange um, thing. They, they're based upon expectation, yeah. and it's more coming from the higher parts of the brain down rather than the sensory data coming up. But um, 
the immune system cells and the brain cells both respond equally to all perceptions yeah. and all infections and all germs. And yeah. uh, so there's a lot of different stimuli going on in the immune system. Um, so, for example, no one knew that um, it, it was thought that the brain didn't have immunity other than the microglia. Microglia were discovered and, uh, you know, in the fetus at day, at day nine, this little macrophage went into the brain area and then it lived there with making children in a little area where they would um, basically take care of one little territory mm -hmm. and tap on everything, make sure everything's okay and prune synapses. And it be became really a brain cell, but it had a T cell like intelligence about immunity, but yeah. no one knew that the T cell was in the cerebral spinal fluid. Right. And there are about half a million of them there and they are signaling into the brain through this, the, the cerebral spinal fluid they thought was a cushion, but yeah. it's actually a stream of consciousness. It's a stream of messages all over the brain. And uh, so examples of that are the T cell. Um, in order to make new memories, we have a small stream of new neurons. Uh, you know, from the fetus, there's a, billion, uh, a trillion that's pruned down to 86 billion and then it stops, basically, except for about a thousand per day. Most of them in the memory center, but uh, also in the nose, yeah. a couple of other places, but they're very small. So these new memory cells, um, uh, re uh, when we re-remember things, uh, we take a new cell and associate new things with it, and create a new memory, uh, which gradually supplants the old memory which doesn't vanish but it gradually which is why yeah. i say with the reconsolidation of memory you can use this to deal with trauma because you can then realize that if you re-remember the trauma and you associate positive feelings maybe a good experience that you're having with your work um you know with the work you're doing uh, the positive emotion you associate that with the trauma, yeah. you then have a new memory that's slightly less painful than the old memory. But the, no one knew that the T cell traveling, you know, throughout the body, the yeah. main master immune cell is the one that tells the neuron when to make brain cells. Yes. And when we get depression, uh, for whatever reason, it, 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 the T cell says make less brain cells. And when we stop having depression through whatever, through a through various therapies, medications, or it just goes away, whatever, um, it, then it's, T-cell says, no, make more memory. And that's the brain fog people feel. Mm -hmm. And they feel it also with chronic stress. So acute stress uh, can make more cells. You can be better with acute stress, but if it's chronic stress, it gets worse uh, and you get the brain fog. The T-cell also tells the neuron to make the sick feeling. So you get an infection somewhere, and the T cell then sends the signal to the uh, brain cell to uh, slow down and make the sick feeling. So we lie down and take care of ourselves right. because uh, they realize you need to spend the energy um, elsewhere. Uh, but in the opposite direction, so that's the T cell talking to the immune cell in the neuron. Neurons, it turns out, um, direct immunity and they direct inflammation and they can make any kind of inflammation. And so for many years, it was obvious that meditation through the vagus nerve lowered heart rate, mm -hmm. uh, calmed the gut, lowered breathing, but it was not known how could it um, dramatically affect immunity and, uh, anti and create antiviral. And then it was discovered that through this neuroimmune reflexes, the neuron is actually uh, stimulating various kinds of immunity, it can also do the opposite. The other right. thing is uh, this communication, the signaling. So I, no one knew how acupuncture works, which right. is probably part of how massage works, is that we, they thought they were, you know, the, the Eastern philosophy is uh, energy fields or mm -hmm. energy flow. And in the Western, we don't have energy flow, so that everyone assumed it was either blood flow yeah, or, or, nerves. or neuron flow yeah. or nerves, but it isn't. So when you look at an acupuncture point, or a pressure point, acupressure point, it's not directly related to uh, the neurons. And so what's going on? Well, yeah. they, a study showed that when they triggered an acupuncture point by an electro, uh, you know, with electricity, 
what happened is that a T cell in that tissue, like in the wrist, the T cell is under there, it triggers the T cell, the T cell moves around a little bit, it then signals to a neuron that's nearby, and then the signal gets into the nervous system and affects the kidney yeah. way over on the other part of the body. So these immune, and these immune neuro uh, circuits also include all kinds of other cells. They include nuclea, right. they include glial cells, they include even uh, cancer cells, even microbes. And, and that's uh, the new science of pain is that these very unusual circuits are found in, 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 pain, in, in, in unusual pain syndromes that were yeah. just beginning to scratch the surface of them. Which is what I work with a lot. Yeah. Now, an example is migraines. So no one knew why Elevil might help migraines. Well, everyone just assumed that it's from serotonin because tryptans affect serotonin right. and therefore it must be that. And then through the new science, it was found as a completely new neurotransmitter that no one ever heard about from the trigeminal nerve that by chance, Elevil of all the antidepressants happened yeah. to have an effect on that. So now the whole new class of medications coming out now are based upon this trigeminal neurotransmitter that, it, it, again, is a crazy jargon word. No one can ever remember yeah. it. Um, but it, uh, it's, again, they, they're looking for new signals and found, and found this one. It's interesting the, the, this idea of perception too that you that you start with here because I because I've treated newborns um, I, I one of the things that I picked up on fairly early on was you know I, I I worked very closely with with you know midwives and doulas and lactation consultants and so you know a lot of times they the the parents this was when I was in working in Brooklyn the uh, the home birth started to become a, a a big you know wave about 15 years ago. And so there were a lot more of these things going on. Water, you know, they'd have a pool set up at home for the mother. Mom would have, you know, mom and dad would have this amazing experience of having the baby at home. Baby would have a totally different experience. It's like they already came in, you know, speaking of the mind, they already came in with certain perceptions. And, you know, th some of that stuff, it, the parents couldn't understand what was going on, but it was sort of clear just by the way the, 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 the tension in the baby, the way they would hold their fists kind of balled up, the positions that they would get into, that they were still in a very protected, you know, place and that they still weren't, you know, comfortable out here yet. And that's just their perception. And then as you kind of helped them sort of settle into their body and into the, you know, into the space, a lot of those things would start to fade. But that perception always kind of surprised me. I don't know if you've seen my, po I have a post called What Do Infants Know? Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. No, but I have to check it out. You just, you just Google that, John Leaf MD, and the name of the post, and it comes up on my website. But uh, basically, it's, it's amazing. We had no idea how much babies know. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we always thought that neuroplasticity in the uh, cortex happens later. Even uh, even in adolescence, like yeah. much later in the frontal area, where impulsiveness, you know, adolescence, right. some can handle it, many cannot until they myelinate in that area. Turns out there's a tiny little area that's all myelinated when they're born for language, which doesn't make any sense, uh, really. Um, you know, it's among the many things that that, that are remarkable. But babies know. They really have a feel for the language before they're born. Yeah. They really have a feel for the emotional environment before they're born. They're yeah. very aware of everything. And uh, what the neuroscience shows is that you really should um, treat babies as if they're very intelligent, talk to them. They need to learn mm -hmm. words. Yeah. Uh, and the more shaped words they learn, the better they are in science later. Uh, but the... Um, they're, they're really scientists. They're very open to the truth of the situation and they want to discover things uh, even before, long before they can talk. Yeah. They're discovering things and pointing. Uh, anyway, that that's, uh, I summarize some of that information, but you're observing how amazingly aware they are, yeah. uh, which is what you're working with. Yeah. And and the the other piece is is that I I think we you know with the the tissue that I sort of got got very pulled into because I became a more of a neuro junkie was when I when I learned more about fascia and started realizing that this whole thing was enervated and 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 
and even just the way that it would that that we pattern and sort of hold on to some of these patterns when we're working with you know it can be any condition really it can be it can be a chronic pain condition it can be a over overhistamine response or inflammation condition it all seems to kind of play back into that perception on some level the way that the the organization happens or the way that we hold on to patterning or the protective response I, I, you know, again, this is subjective, but it's, but it's one of these things that I've done, you know, close to 25,000 treatments at this point, you see these patterns just kind of coming up over and over again. Well, one of the things that is known, again, it's a very complicated area that's just beginning to be uh, unraveled, is that perceptions dramatically trigger large genetic networks of 200 to 500 genes at yeah. once. So isolation is the most powerful uh, perception. Uh, danger, of course, is a perception that triggers a lot, but isolation is more, it has mm. more, it's more powerful, and it triggers a lot of immune cells to create factors, to create cytokines. Um, so the feeling of association, um, even if you're put in, a, um, in isolation in a prison, if you feel associated, with a teacher or yeah, someone, yeah. That it, it protects you. So the, 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 the very stressed person who is more connected to other people does better immune-wise yeah, yeah. than the isolated person. Uh, that trig the, the loneliness and isolation seems to trigger the most genetic networks uh, and, and it has a vast influence on immunity. Yeah. But we're just scratching the surface of that. I mean, that's just, uh, but we don't know what perceptions are. Uh, we don't know what, my, I mean, my conclusion, obviously, is we don't know what mind is. We have no idea. Yeah. And that's why I wrote this book about cells, because cells seem to be very intelligent. So do they have mind? Well, who knows? We, we, no one knows. But right. uh, they certainly behave as though they know a lot. Uh, they seem to understand that they need to communicate with a cell that's halfway around the body. How would they possibly know to do that? I mean, how would they know to send directions to the bone marrow to make a particular kind of cell and then help that cell climb against the blood flow to get to the area to get yeah. into the infection? And when the cell arrives, open a door for them so they could walk in and then they direct traffic and they direct everything that's going on. It's remarkable how much they know, really. It, it, it is. This, this, is, this is what I got really interested in reading your uh, writing was that there, there is this, we, we are communicating something that they're listening to, right? The cells, you know, are, yeah. are picking up a lot of information. I mean, it's not just from us, it's from our environment. And, and, you know, you have to kind of wonder about, you know, with, with the year that we've been through, you know, with, with the, the, this microscopic world kind of taking over everything and also the microscopic world being able to save us on some level with, with the science of, of this, these uh, messenger RNA vaccines. There's, there's so much going on in there that's, that's, that is perception of, of, you know, from the cellular level, too. Yes. Um, again, we don't, I mean... To me, and, and what I'm researching now in my next book is uh, there I stayed at the level of cells. Mm -hmm. But it, until the end, actually, I, I started with the body cells. You really can't separate body and brain, but you have to write, you have to separate it to write about it. So right. I talked about the body cells, the immune cells, the blood vessel cells, cancer, skin, gut, and then the brain, each of the brain cells. And then uh, I, I went to microbes, which are thousands of times smaller. And these are tiny cells, and yet they are very smart. They uh, work in a community. They mm -hmm. send signals. And then even I have sections on viruses. Even viruses have signals that we've discovered now, and they, they communicate. And then I went inside the cell, and there are the uh, compartments, the organelles, like mitochondria, nucleus, are um, are communicating just like the cell. They are yeah. sending signals. And then the very last chapter I threw in there um, is a molecule that seems to signal like a cell. Yeah. Uh, called mTOR. It's a very important molecule that the way everything works on in that level is that molecules attract complexes of like 20, 30 large proteins that sit together and do something and then they go off and then they come back and they do something else and they're they're creating these complexes. Well, mTOR creates two very, very large, amazingly complicated 
complexes of groups of molecules, and they sit right on the lysosome, which is the the factory of breaking down and creating what we need to yeah. work uh, to have the cell to make uh, materials. Is an enzyme this, of something that that it creates? Uh, mTOR is an enzyme. Yeah. It's a it's a kinase. It's a it phosphorylates. It places a high energy phosphate. Most a lot most of the cells circuits, which I call circuits, they're like cascades of molecules. One molecule does something to one, activates another, activates yeah. another, and then there are multiple uh, cascades and they affect each other. Then they go down into the nucleus, create uh, various proteins. Um, the mTOR is, somehow is able to sense what we need. So it senses all the different pro uh, amino acids to make proteins, It directs the ribosomes to make proteins. It directs actin, which is the scaffold that allows the cells to move. Um, it also uh, senses all the other uh, lipids. It senses all the molecules. So the question is, how can a molecule no, sense, uh, create right. complexes that do all this? And then, and then it, it decides how much we need and working with the the lysosome factory, which breaks down big molecules to get amino acids when you need them, um, it then sends, uh, sends molecules appropriately to areas, and it actually stimulates uh, the ribosome to make proteins. So I threw in this one molecule, which makes me think that molecules have mind also. In other words, it's not just right. cells and organelles and microbes, but the further down we go, And that's what I'm doing now. I'm, I'm researching, so for example, um, ATP, which is the, both the energy particle for everything, is the same molecule that is the DNA letter. It's, right. it's an information molecule and it's the energy molecule. It's the same molecule, which is very strange, I think. And all of this works through machinery that are molecules. Uh, and just like your headphone and this zoom is through electricity, which are electrons moving through wires, uh, through uh, metal, which allows electrons to flow through them. Uh -huh. In the cell, the electron flow, which is triggered in a variety of ways, in plants it's triggered from sun, sunlight, but it's triggered in various ways. But the electron flow, just like electricity in our world, electron flow runs everything. That's how ATP is created ultimately. Mm -hmm. And it has these wires that go through these incredibly, you know, you know, we're talking about thousands of atoms put together into large molecules in the mitochondria membrane. And then there are these circuits through the, the molecule where an electron will go from one little cluster of iron and sulfur to another one, to another one, to another one, and then to another molecule and travels over here and then more. And the energy from that electron flow, just like our wires and just like a, a burning fire, uh, the electron eventually ends up stimulating uh, using oxygen and makes water and CO2. Uh, and all of that's from electron flow, which is just the way everything else works. So that's, okay. I mean, how does that know what to do? Well, that's a, that, that's uh, the question I kept thinking during, as I'm reading this is, is where, where's the intention? Where's, what's the intentionality, right? Why, why do they behave this way? Is, is it for themselves? Are they serving us? You know, are we just, are we just the host For the, for their environment, and you know, I, I was even thinking, and I know that you you mentioned in the book that, you know, f for a long time we've believed viruses to be, de uh, you know, dead things. Right. But I couldn't yeah. help but I, right. I couldn't I couldn't help but wonder like, is is this new form of a virus that you know has more genes than some of the previous ones that we've seen with you know with Ebola and, and HIV, is it somehow you know trying to control its own environment? Oh, definitely. Uh, the viruses run everything. Right. We live in a universe controlled by viruses. So, for example, we have 
we make maybe 100,000 proteins out of 20,000 genes in a very complicated process where different genes can make multiple proteins. But in the gut, there are a trillion microbes and they have 300 times as much DNA that we do. So the actual amount of products being made in us and used by us are 300 times more than our machinery, than our DNA. These yeah. uh, uh, microbes make, now, if, but each microbe has thousands of viruses surrounding it. Every cell has thousands of viruses and the viruses contain the information. They contain the genes. Most of what viruses do are very positive, by the way. They're not, um, they're not just negative. Yeah, they're I thought that was interesting. When, yeah, they're negative when we somehow bumble into the wrong place at the wrong time or take over territory of the wrong animal. And then a virus says, you know, oh, here's another animal I can live off of in a new way. Yeah. Um, uh, but in general, we have virus... Uh, there's a huge amount of virus DNA in us, more than our genes, actually. 50% are jumping genes, which are virus-like particles, probably from old viruses. And then there are about another 8% that are literally genes from viruses that were placed in our DNA. And our active DNA is 2%. Yeah. And then another 30% of regulatory stuff. So, uh, And the DNA uh, of the virus makes the... Our placenta would not exist without the uh, syncytium molecule that. that we got from a virus, the amylase digestive enzymes from a virus. But more than that, jumping genes create products in our cells, and they are very vital to the brain, uniquely so. Um, we don't understand it, but we knew 30 years ago that microbes send signals. So that okay. was known. But we couldn't do anything about it because we couldn't measure it. You're saying, you started off by saying it's because of the great technology that we have. And it's yeah. true. So now we can um, see that the reason microbes are so influential in our world is because they speak the same language that our cells do. So they can talk to our cells, they mm -hmm. understand what our cells are saying, and they can modulate these conversations. And our cells, like in the gut, and on the skin attract friendly, friendly microbes in order to protect against other microbes and their friendly viruses come and protect against other uh, bacteria. Um, so we have friendly viruses inside of us protecting our gut, for example, and yeah. protecting our friendly microbes, which are making vitamins for us, they're making signals, they're breaking down fiber, fatty acid, uh, completely part of us, you know, uh, no separation. But then about four years ago, it, now I always thought viruses were intelligent and I wrote a number of articles. They're more detailed on the website, like the stuff, I have an article on Ebola, on HIV, on mm -hmm. herpes, on dengue, various. So I have very detailed articles. You can, again, just Google John Leaf, MD, and, and, and the name of the virus. And and I'll, I'll throw some links up for it too, so people can just go right to it. Yes, and then, so it was clear to me that they're very intelligent and they evade complicated, I mean, here they come into a cell that's thousands and thousands of times bigger than them. They have only like a handful of proteins and yet they're able to manipulate our factories. They're able to manipulate the whole situation. How, you know, it's amazing. But then four years ago, a signal was found. So they found a virus making the same kind of signal that the bacteria, the first signals of the bacteria were a decision should we attack or shouldn't we yeah. attack so this signal on the virus came about should we keep our bacteria alive or should we kill it have we used it up enough we need it but maybe we'll go to another one maybe we won't and so this signal is determining among the viruses what to do but then uh, you know in the last four years a lot of other signals are found and 15 different species and they talk interspecies. So clearly viruses are part of the conversation. They're just so tiny. It's very early in the research. And again, what I'm doing is I just keep up and translate and I'll be doing that. But it, it, it's it, viruses are so tiny, it's hard to figure. Now, we do use viruses for treatments because 
they naturally talk to our cancer cells. They naturally talk to our immune cells. Yeah. They naturally talk to our gut cells. So if we can learn how they talk naturally, we can then influence that, or we can just take the, the virus itself, change the DNA, and, and send a piece of DNA into a cell that way, which we do, and either to, for positive or for negative, or to fight a cancer, for yeah. example. So, so for for anyone who doesn't have any background in in this, um, explain just a, a little bit of of what communication looks like. Well, there's lots of different forms of communication with cells, right? We've got we got right. things happening at a chemical level, electrical level. Right. Well, one way to start is um, uh, neurons and cancer cells are good examples. So, everyone knows in grammar school that axons come to a synapse and send a molecule from one neuron to another. So that's the secretion of a molecule that's in a little sac, mm -hmm. but then it opens up and it sends the molecule. So signaling through molecules is the most widely known. Not that it's the most widely used, but it's yeah. what we know best. So the secretion of these signals, but the, but the neuron also makes a, a different kind of synapse, which is just basically a, um, a channel and electricity flows back and forth between two cells uh, that's called an electrical synapse and we don't really understand how they use that information but again they're using electricity and all of our information is in electricity right. that's how the zoom works that's how everything's working so they're doing the same thing and they have found that certain uh, glial cancers astro, uh, astrocyte tumors make these electrical synapses with neurons and take their energy. So they, 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 they feed off it. Now, in reality, all chemical synapses are first electrical synapse and then becomes a chemical synapse. And they both need each other. Well, that's yeah. one thing. So everyone knows probably, well, some people, if you studied a little bit, you know that myelin is an insulator that they put around the axon. Yeah. But we didn't know that the neuron is talking to that myelin by sending signals back and forth, sometimes in sacs, sometimes in um, uh, uh, secretion. We also didn't know that along the axon there are, are, are areas that do not have myelin. And from sideways, we're sending uh, immune signals to immune cells, and they're talking uh, that way. Now, on uh, cancers, particularly like these sacs, so they are called exosomes. So they send a lot of information in sex. So they'll alter a mitochondrion, for example, make it favorable to uh, to not cause cell death and to make more and more energy in a new way. And then they'll alter these and they'll send them to their uh, comrades, just like resistance genes among microbes. They send genes to fight against a medication but they'll also send an altered mitochondria and they send them two ways either in a sack but they also love these nanotubes which was never described because they're too small and we've just now realized there are probably nanotubes everywhere so yeah. we found them in microbes in the soil where for like five inches they have um connected by an internet and they're the one at the bottom is eating a little mineral sending electrons and the others are living off that and yeah. eating eating off that. These nanotubes uh, are, are a way cancers love to signal to their comrades uh, through these nanotubes, and they like these uh, sacs. Uh, so the, those are the main ways, but we also know there are gradients of electricity and gradients of all. That's how the fetus works. In other words, they'll make one cell will uh, produce a, a particular molecule like um, uh, vitamin A is one of them that's used. So they, so there's a gradient where it's more condensed here and less condensed, and the cells all along that gradient somehow know what to do based upon the gradient, and that's how you tell where the end of a thumb is, where the end edge is. In yeah. other words, it'll trail off, and then they'll they'll know to stop at that point. So it's chemical gradients, electrical gradients, but there's also electrical fields, and there's also photons, but we don't understand those yet. They're too too complicated. So um, right now, most of the information are the secreted chemicals. And these are immune cytokines, they call them. They're neurotransmitters. People are familiar with that word. And um, so all the cells are using all these techniques to communicate constantly. 
And 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 the and this is one of the things you you wrote about this, and I and I, it relates much to to my work is that the 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 whole body has these series of of waves, whether they're electrical or fluid based, rhythmic pulses, oscillations, kind of these push pull forces that are you know polarization. You know, one of the things that I do with my work is actually feel for the movement of cerebrospinal fluid. So about every five to seven seconds, it goes from bottom to the top of the system, and so I use that as a as a guide. I can tell where there's restrictions. I can tell kind of how much force, you know, is going through the system, how little sometimes you can feel restrictions and very specific tissues around, you know, specific cranial bones down around the sacrum. The cells that control the cerebral spinal fluid, I have a chapter on that. Yeah. Choroid cells. They're they're amazing cells. And those, a lot of the most intelligent cells are lining cells. Yeah. Lining cell of the gut is one cell where below is the tissue and all the immune and above are trillions of microbes. Well, in the, in, in the cerebral spinal fluid, the choroid cell lines it, produces the cerebral spinal fluid. Right. But much more than that, it's a gateway of signaling. The, no one knew that cerebral spinal fluid is a way that a cell deep inside the brain sends a signal that comes all the way out to the choroid cell. And the mm-hmm. choroid cell knows then where that is and calls it right connected to the blood. It's connected to the blood on one side and the cerebral spinal fluid on the other. It yep. takes the blood, filters it, and creates the fluid that makes the cerebral spinal fluid. Well, this choroid cell can call for uh, signals of necessary immune cells for that cell deep inside uh, the brain. So we had no idea that the how significant the cerebral spinal fluid is as a uh, a, a rapid conduit of communication signals. And, and, and if you think, I mean, this, this is the thing that also caught my attention and why I got interested in, in the first place is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a saline tide basically. Right. And, and that these, this choroid plexus is, is creating this wellspring within our, within our system. That's kind of, and, and I think it, it moves out, I believe, right through the, uh, the arachnoid villi or something into, into the blood and, lymph and kind of moves and detoxifies the system we that way too. We just discovered the lymph. Uh, no one knew about these lymph channels to the various uh, surrounding cavities around the brain. And yeah. This is all in the last two, three years. Right. We found that there's a lot more immune activity going on um, where uh, T cells can leave the spinal fluid, go back out, go to the, the cervical plexus, go here, go there, come back. Uh, bring signals. Uh, this is all new, yeah. uh, and it shows a much more complicated uh, immune system than anyone imagined. So, what, what's changed in in the technology? Is it just is it just microscopic power? I, I mean, it seems like at, oh, when, when I started studying glia five years ago, it was brand new. I mean, you know, within the last oh, five so years many, but so many developments based upon biophysics which i do a lot of reading in okay. now of light um you know light is like an electron it it, 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 it has energy based upon its uh, uh ultraviolet more energy blue more energy it's based upon its wavelength it has different power and when it hits a molecule it can either be scattered it could be reflected it could be ignored or it can bounce an electron off of it uh, it can make it more excited and send another uh photon back um but it can change a molecule through that process because oh, I see. The, the molecule are an atom has certain electron properties based upon quantum mechanics, you know, so many fill certain orbitals. But when you have a molecule, it's different. You have a different set of orbitals because they're sharing a lot of the electrons and and the electron uh, 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 shrinks. And um, each molecule is different, of course, but that's how vision works is that it hits um, a retinol molecule that then just shifts the conformation, the, the shape of the molecule shifts because of the bouncing electron, and that shape then triggers a cascade of uh, communication such that in dark light, we can see something based upon five photons. Mm. I mean, it's so sensitive. That's because it's, it triggers this one molecule, which then 
is part of a signaling cascade, which I described before, where uh, the enzymes phosphorylate, you know, the cascade. But then it, it by by triggering this molecule, it now triggers a hundred molecules. Yeah. So it, it magnifies it tremendously to the point where our neuron can see something happen and then trigger that. So one photon can be very influential. Now that's just opto. Uh, there's a million ways that optical, uh, prop, uh, it's very complicated. The interaction of light and um, molecules, electrons is extremely complicated. When you read these books, you're reading, and I was a math major, so I know a little bit, but it's, it's, uh, it's, 600 pages of equations. I mean, you know, it, it, it's quantum mechanics. So uh, basically, but it's a whole science that has created lasers, that has created uh, all kinds of devices. Mm-hmm. And so the electron microscope, the uh, X-ray technology, the sound technology, the NMR, MRI, uh, magnetic resonance are mm-hmm. all evolving rapidly and creating more and more elaborate gizmos that are then evaluated uh by a computer and and you know pictures are made so the technology is is marvelous there's also a thing called uh spectral uh vibrational uh it, there's so many new ways to image that's where we're getting all this information the okay. problem of course is that no one can understand it and and that's where the translation has to be done <laughs> yeah so so has this has this um field of study for you changed the way you think about what health is or how you how you protect your own state of well-being? Well, I had intuitions throughout my life. So I, but it wasn't based upon this level of science, but right. it's validating. It is validating. I've been a vegetarian for 40 years. Okay. Um, I was a meditation teacher as a, in college in, in the 60s. Um, I, I've been de-stressing. I was an athlete, so exercise. Yeah. So I'm not young now, but I'm, I'm doing well. And, um, you know, there are certain things that fit cellular realities involving food, right. exercise, sleep, um, reconsolidation of memory for traumatic but but i emphasize one thing now more than anything Hmm. the brain is extremely dynamic and the way we learn is through neuroplasticity where uh neurons change what they're doing like at synapses or in various ways so i have a lot of articles on neuroplasticity but what is not widely uh known about neuroplasticity is that the the brain actually uses the whole brain, not just one little area. You used to think you use one area, yeah. but actually, and the wider the circuit, the more strength there is in the positive influences of meditation, for example, or of learning. So, um, and the neuroplasticity is stronger. So, an example is this: I'll give you, if you're a high jumper and you're going to do your jump. And you I, I was, by the way, I was a high jumper. What? I was a high jumper, so this is perfect. And, and you'll get this. <laughs> so you visualize before you jump. By visualizing, you're going to jump 30% better. Yeah. But if during that visualization, which you may not have known back then, you go like this with your hands, at the same time you imagine the jump, it's 45%. Well, what is that about? Well, because what's happening is you're including the neuroplasticity of the visualization, your knowledge of the jump, your knowledge of the situation, your relationships with your coaches, your people, all of that's included. But now it's also included with motor. Motor mm-hmm. uh, is part of the uh, uh, of the circuit that you're evolving to learn. And so things that are brain-wide and that are meaningful so what does meaningful mean? It means yeah. you're paying attention. Yeah. It means you have emotion. It means you're, you're learning. You're working hard. Um, it's a meaningful activity, but it also should use something physical, some movement. So like music is a yeah. perfect example. I was going to say, I'm a big fan of Oliver Sacks, and I'm also a musician. So, you know, it's, right. it's one of the well, pieces that I've thought about a lot. Music is the one of the best brain-wide neuroplasticity generators because, you know, you're, you're – you know the instrument, 
you know the intellectual aspect of playing, yeah. you're physically playing, There's math. you're moving, you're tapping, you have people around that you associate yeah. with, the song has meaning, the band has meaning, mm. if you're doing a church thing, it has even more meaning, uh, so yeah. like a rock'em sock'em church uh, thing is, it, that's the most powerful kind of experiences people have, are uh, uh, musical events, but it can be gardening, it can be anything, yeah. you start with like a meditation of some kind, and then you add something meaningful, gardening, art, uh, it could be anything. It could even be business, but again, it has to be meaningful business, not yeah, just yeah. Uh, selfishly getting rich, but helping in some way. So uh, that's what I emphasize is uh, mean, because the brain is so dynamic. You're at, so I have an article also is about uh, elderly. So mm -hmm. the, there's a prejudice that the elderly have inferior brains today because everyone's demented and they think all oh, these old people and it's a culture of uh, idolizing youth rather than wisdom. Yeah. So, but the fact of the matter is the studies show that um, those elderly who use their brain for menial activity have much better brains. They've built all kinds of circuits to the frontal lobe. They've built circuits to the right and left side. Yeah. They have a much more uh, evolved brain, but there's one problem that naturally occurs with the elderly that confuses people and that's word finding so word finding mm. does go down so it's, oh it's on the tip of my tongue what is yeah. that word yeah that word. very familiar thing for everyone um i used to say as a doctor uh because of my word finding i'm very confidential i i i, I can't uh in the hospital because i can't remember your name but uh, no so um the the elder brain that's active is far better, and uh, the wisdom is in these uh, new uh, connections. So we have to realize the brain is a very active uh, thing, and that you either use it for good purposes or you use it for bad purposes. Yeah. And whatever you, either way, it's going to change, and it's going to get better or worse. So it's uh, I emphasize that. And the other thing I emphasize is we don't know why, really. I don't know why, but it's proven beyond doubt that there's something unique about being in nature. Yeah. In other words, if you just walk in nature and you have an EEG cap, it, it, you're already meditating just by walking in nature. Studies show that in hospitals, if you just have a little plant next to the bedside, they do better. If your apartment, you can see a tree somewhere, you do better. Um, so walking in nature is one of the critical things along with meaningful brain use uh sleep sleep is a whole story we haven't really talked about yeah. it but but sleep uh both consolidates memory so you need sleep all-nighters are a bad idea that's yeah. why kids need to nap after they've learned something yeah. it consolidates the memory but when you're in sleep several things happen that are very important one is that the brain takes away energy from the synapses it sort of lowers everything down and it shrinks in half by mm -hmm. shrinking in half the neurons it creates a flow cleaning out the proteins uh the clumps that are yeah. there that cause dementia and other things so it creates cleaning through the lymphatic system that was right. discovered very recently but more also it it pulls away energy uh, the brain is only like three pounds but it's 20 percent of the energy and when you pull away uh, uh, energy, you're saving an enormous amount of energy that way. But more than that, it then stimulates what's important. So the experiences, uh, the learning of the day are stimulated. So when the brain comes back, it's it's more powerful in, in certain ways. Yeah. Of course, eating is kind of an obvious thing today. But the most important thing, as far as I'm concerned, is that cells can't deal with crap. They can't deal with... Right processed chemicals yeah. so the less chemicals you add the metabolic waste and all these things that build up right, the less they they and we're we're eating chemicals that nature has never known before right. i mean we're just inventing chemicals and then the cells have to deal with that and they don't know how to deal with it so eating non-processed food i think is the most important thing but also if you what you eat attracts certain microbes so for example the reason why red meat one reason red meat is great is that there's a kind of microbe that uh, it is attracted to red meat eaters, uh, and that microbe, and it's not attracted to other meat eaters or vegetarians, but that particular microbe eats carnitine, which is a natural thing that mm -hmm. we ourselves make normally, but then it changes that carnitine into a product called TMA, 
that goes into the blood, it goes to the liver, it becomes TMAO, and that is very influential in causing atherosclerosis. So one of the reasons red meat causes heart disease is not anything to do with the meat. It has to do with the microbes that it attracts. So that's another important factor. I mean, to me, berries are magical. I mean, mm-hmm. there's all, and we don't know what's in these foods. We don't know what's in natural foods. There's, we take one, you know, at a store, you buy one item taken from a, a you know, a pill, uh, but there are a thousand in there that we have no idea about. Right. So we don't know. We might know a hundred. Right. Yeah. So the idea is not to eat pills, but eat, eat food, yeah. eat, eat natural food. So those are the those are the big things. Exercise, of course, you can exercise too much and hurt yourself. But yeah. if you exercise sensibly, it's a magic bullet. It creates neuroplasticity for a little while afterwards, mm-hmm. for good or bad. In other words, if you create the neuroplasticity and you do good things with your brain, that's fine. If you create neuroplasticity and you take cocaine, you're going to get addicted faster. Right. So it it, it will increase learning good or bad learning and after exercise it's better to do something good um so those are the main things and they are all you know i was did research on this in in the 80s you know ray kurzweil says it's amazing what i wrote in the 80s but it it was so far ahead of his time that no one ever read it um but now it's being proven what I'm talking about, and it has a lot to do with the cellular level. And again, it's complicated stories, but it's in the book. A lot of this is in the book. Well, and, and even going back from what you're talking about with you know things that we're starting to understand about Chinese medicine, it it shows that that our instincts are actually pretty good with a lot of these things. Just as yours were to like go into exploring these things in the '80s, you 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 picked up on certain things that maybe resonate. We can't explain why they resonate with us or why we kind of get directed in those ways. Like, I have no idea how I ended up in the field I'm in. <laughs> I can't even des- describe it. I was just following one curiosity after another. And nature informs us in this way too. I think there's something about being out in nature for these kinds of things that we are probably picking up some sort of, you know, information. Our cells are probably picking up information. Nature's picking up information from us probably. We just, you know, it's 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 still something that we can't prove or or really, you know, have clear evidence for, but we, we but we do feel it. We sense it. Even though I grew up in a city, I always had an affinity to uh nature and um you know, a lot of my life with dogs and so early on I didn't meditate for health reasons. I meditated for spiritual reasons. Mm -hmm. Years later, it became apparent that the de-stressing is very, very important. uh, And uh, the meditation has all kinds of benefits. But it could be anything. It could be martial arts. It could be, uh, you know, I've done martial arts for years. And uh, it it could be a lot of different things, uh, meditation. Well, this this is fascinating. Um, and I, I, I can't wait to read you what, what you're going to write about nature, actually, because this is I, I feel like there's a lot of what I end up getting into. And it is it does become, I think, th- this universe within that we're kind of starting to see more and more of through technology and microscopes and stuff. It, it's it's very, you know, that, I think there's there's a part of this that is very spiritual in nature. We're trying to. We're, we're trying to, you know, verify some of the the feelings or instincts or, you know, the, the patterns that we've seen over and over again and say, yes, there is, the, I, this this is still fitting with this or no, now this no longer fits and there's a new piece of information. No, it's true. The new science, for example, they wiped out when, when the drugs came in in the 50s and 60s, the, the powers that be wiped out psychotherapy. Mm-hmm crazy uh, because it was obviously uh, helped enormously including yeah. for very sick schizophrenic patients but but then now the new neuroscience is showing that psychotherapy does exactly the same thing it changes the brain and mm-hmm. all these therapies and the therapies you're doing all have dramatic effects and so the new science is showing that so i yeah. find it very exciting yeah. to be translating the new science and i'm convinced that there's so much. I do homework every night. I capture the latest articles because yeah. what I found is that if I don't get it, the, the very day that an article comes out, you know, in the thousands and thousands of journals, a little blurb is published with it. And I find if I don't capture that blurb that night, then it goes into the 
the gobbledygook because the titles of these articles are ridiculous. No one can figure out <laughs> and can't search because they're the names of genes and the, the, it's the names of receptors. It's gobbledygook. So yeah. uh, I find I have to do homework digging for these articles every night. And then I'm, I'm convinced uh, everything I've written about comes from these journals, from these yeah. articles. Yeah. There's nothing, uh, nothing speculative about what I'm writing about. It's all proven facts. Uh, which I find amazing, really, that yeah. you can explain so much that way. Anyway, it's been great to talk with you. Likewise, and th thanks for sharing with us, and I'd love to have you back uh, with, with, with this new book as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. All right. Thanks, John. Dr. John Lee, folks. I had a teacher once who said to the class, if you want to improve health, you must improve energy. And a year or so later, a meditation teacher said to the class I was taking, if you want to find joy, follow your energy. And I think about both of these quite regularly. And in many ways, they're a mantra I hear echoing when I'm stuck in decision-making or feeling challenged in my personal life. And throughout the course of reading John's book, The Secret Language of Cells, there seem to be similar reminders that following and improving energy is innate to our existence on the planet and to our livelihood down to the cellular level. It also brings up important questions to ponder about our own nature and the future of life on the planet and our continued search for meaning. Let me know what you thought of this conversation. You can reach out to me at the contact page at highway2.health. That's highwayto.health. And if you'd like to watch me have this conversation with Dr. John Leaf, check out the Highway to Health podcast page on YouTube. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends.